There's a night when I came in So drunk I could not see I got tangled up in the old door And that fell flat as I could be I had me a little old bottle of rum And I didn't have any Hey everybody, Legs Malone here. Thanks so much for tuning in to this week's episode of Lunch with Legs. I am thrilled to bring you this week's episode featuring the storytelling and entertainment talents of the amazing husband and wife duo that is Cindy Freeman and Brad Lawrence. Before I go on any farther, that intro song that you were just hearing is called Intoxicated Rat by the Dixon Brothers. And for those of you who tune in on a regular basis, if I forget or do not mention whoever the artist is and the song title for our intro and outro songs, you can always find that on our uh, podcast listing on the episode guide on our website, which is at legsmalone.com backslash lunch with legs. Before I go any further with this episode's introduction, uh, we actually have a special moment. This is the first time I'm doing uh, something along these lines during the introduction. But this woman, uh, the one and only Dixie Evans, um, I feel she deserves at least a minute and a half, not only of my time, but of yours as well. Dixie was the head and primary inspiration for the exotic world Museum, which is the only museum in the world dedicated to the art of burlesque and all of the performers who have danced through the many years. The museum itself was founded by Jenny Lee, who was known as the Bazoom Girl, back in the 50s or 60s. I apologize for not being able to remember that off the top of my head. But the museum was originally located on a goat farm. Yes, you heard me right, a goat farm in Hellendale, California, and it made its move to Las Vegas, Nevada in, I believe it was 2006 or 2007. Anyway, um, I'm saying all of that just as a preface, because on August 3rd, 2013, the burlesque community lost our most cherished legend, the one and only Dixie Evans. In addition to being a famed performer of the 1940s and 50s, Dixie was the creator of the Miss Exotic World pageant, which is now known as the burlesque hall of fame weekend uh, which takes place every june in vegas which is not to be believed um she was also the longtime curator and tour guide of the famed exotic world burlesque museum originally located in hellendale california which is again now known as the burlesque hall of fame in las vegas prior to dixie's passing a team of burlesque performers promoters and producers created the dixie evans week Their goal was to bring together the international burlesque community for a week-long celebration of shows and classes to honor Dixie and to raise funds for her post-stroke rehabilitation. Sadly, Dixie passed away before the week came to be, and the funds which were originally intended for her care have been used to cover outstanding medical bills and a memorial celebration with the remainder earmarked for Dixie's final accommodations at Westwood Cemetery, which is located in Los Angeles. And uh, we are raising money not only to get Dixie there, but get her just where she belongs a stone's throw from Marilyn Monroe's final resting place. And Dixie was actually known as the Marilyn Monroe of burlesque. I highly, highly, highly recommend going onto YouTube and doing a search for Dixie Evans. Um, There is a video she did, or I'm sorry, 
she did not do the video. It is a video of her performing, doing this amazing uh, casting couch thing. And for all of you guys who have ever dabbled in entertainment, you know how the old fable of the casting couch is quite an enduring image, especially in the eyes and minds of beautiful women. And I have to say, Dixie's act is amazing. <laughs> Super dirty for the 50s, too. It's just, it was amazing. Um, so just so you guys know, uh, the Dixie Evans Week has made great progress in their efforts to provide Dixie with an everlasting resting place. And they are closer than ever and are only a few small steps away from securing a case in the Westwood Cemetery Room of Prayer. This case will be accessible to fans, family, and friends who wish to pay their respects. It features beautiful natural light and, as I said, is very close to Marilyn Monroe's grave. They're just a little under $4,000 away from being able to purchase the case, and they only have until January 31st to raise these funds. This episode is going up on January 20th, so that from the point of, in time of this exact recording, there are 11 days left to raise a few thousand dollars to make sure that Dixie has a beautiful and stunning final resting place among the constellation of stars where she so richly deserves to be. At the time of this recording, Dixie Evans Week has successfully raised over $36,000 with an amazing outpouring of support from the burlesque community. With these funds, they've paid off $12,000 worth of Dixie's outstanding medical bills and provided for her memorial service in Las Vegas. Again, as of this very moment, they are only $5,391 away from securing Dixie an everlasting resting space in Westwood Cemetery. Uh, and by the way, Betty Page is buried there too. Go figure. And again, they only have until January 31st to do this. Please, 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 even if you can only afford a dollar, five dollars, ten dollars, I pulled together fifty dollars because Dixie deserves that, especially if anyone listening is a burlesque fan or a member of the burlesque community as a dancer, producer, promoter, you name it. Trust me, Dixie deserves our support. If it was not for her, we would not have the Burlesque Hall of Fame weekend. Exotic World, the museum, would not exist. Dixie was the keystone to the beautiful arc of burlesque that started, you know, and I should say the preservation of burlesque and its history from the 50s all the way through to now. And I just, I can't urge you guys enough to donate. Donations can be made to their You Caring Fund Drive page, and it's a very long URL, so I'm just going to put it in the text of the podcast. So if you can, in the liner notes rather, so if you can go on there, click, and give whatever you can, we would appreciate it so much. And I, myself, Legs Malone, would appreciate it so much as well. I had the amazing luck and good fortune of meeting Dixie several years ago, and man, she was a pistol. She was an extraordinary woman, and I hope you guys can Google her, YouTube her, not just for her performances, but for her very, wow, how do I say it, standalone, unique tours of the Exotic World Museum, uh, especially when it was back in Hellendale. 
Uh, they're pretty awesome videos, so please check it out. And again, please, please, please support the Dixie Evans Week fundraiser drive. You can also just Google Dixie Evans Week and it will pop up. And now, on with our podcast. I was so excited to bring both Cindy and Brad into my studio, aka dining room, to interview them. Uh, Cindy is the producer of Hotsy Totsy Burlesque, which I have been very fortunate to be a part of a handful of times. Um, but that doesn't even begin to cover the breadth of what she does. Um, same thing with Brad. Uh, I actually, the first time I ever heard Brad on a podcast was when he was winning the Grand Slam for The Moth. And I don't know if you guys know The Moth, but if you like live stories told in front of a live audience without any notes, I highly recommend it. They've got a great podcast. Just go, listen. You will thank me later. Um, it's fantastic. And Brad was a two-time Moth Grand Slam winner. Um, he's also actually just about to be on the Risk podcast as well telling one of his stories and the two of them I mean I am so not even beginning to do them justice with this intro uh, but just trust me when I say they are fucking awesome and if you guys have any desire to tell stories yourself get up in front of a crowd full of strangers and tell a story that speaks to a major transformation or aha moment in your life that preceded some really major changes or shifts Please go ahead, listen to this podcast, grab a notebook, grab a pen. They're going to be covering some really cool information. And uh, yeah, I think that's it. I'm going to have a listen to the podcast again, just so I can make sure I have all the information correct. But go ahead, pull up a chair, pour yourself a cup of something, and get ready for the one and only Cindy Freeman and Brad Lawrence. <laughs> Lunch with Legs. So Cindy Freeman and Brad Lawrence, thank you so much for being on the Lunch with Legs podcast today. It is such a pleasure to have you both here. This is my first group interview. It's Kinky. not just us. It's, it's kittens and cats. Yes, it's a kitten and a cat, too. But I'm more interested in what you guys have to say. Oh, okay. <laughs> I don't know. The kitten had an interesting backstory. I mean, <laughs> left to starve in the in the cold. Sure. Yeah. Found oh, in a snowdrift. I've overcome a lot, but I think that he has me beat on that one. Yeah. Yeah. She's a mm -hmm. she, she. We may have another purr break. Uh, we had one for during Lola's interview. We may have another one nice. now, depending on how much trouble she gets into. But um, I am so pleased you guys are here. I've, you guys were two of the first people that I instantly thought of when we decided to even do this podcast, Aww. me and Dave. So I'm really, really happy that the day has come where I have both of you guys here sitting in my living room, mm -hmm. petting this semi-blind kitten in my lap. I know that's <laughs> not a euphemism for anything. No. That's, weirdly, in the burlesque world, that's not a euphemism <laughs> for anything. Yeah. So you guys are sort of, I, I, in my mind, you are a, a sort of a prince and princess of all things media in a way. I mean, the live entertainment storytelling, mm -hmm. um, you know, I, you, your names are known. And I have to say, I have heard both of you guys tell stories on multiple podcasts. Uh -huh. Brad, I first heard yes. you um, as the back-to-back -back Story Slam winner on The Moth. And Cindy, I heard you on Risk. Yeah, I've done um, Risk. I think I have three stories. Oh, wow. Definitely two and maybe three. I heard the story of where you're the guy in Boston hung himself from the ceiling. Mm. <laughs> 
Yes. That was like the second episode I ever listened to. And I was like, oh my god, that's it. And oh my god, that's such an awful story. I mean, That even freaked out well Kevin told. Allison, didn't it? What? That, that freaked out Kevin Allison, didn't it? When you told the story, I feel like Kevin... Didn't, wasn't Kevin Speedback like, dear Jesus? You know, like... I don't know. I, I know that he actually, he was looking for really hard work stories. Yeah. And I said, I got one, but it's so dark. I've only performed it once, and it bummed everybody out so much that I don't know if this is a good story to tell. Um, but if we frame it in a much, in a hopeful light, which, you know, we did. We found the frame, which was that... Um, which is so much in storytelling when you're going to tell something dark it gives some people some hope and that uh, for those of you on the podcast who don't know what the story is it's a, an acquaintance uh, at a Halloween party um, was hanging himself as a stunt and accidentally hung thing, himself, hung himself. As, a, um, not, as a non-stunt as a non-stunt um, <laughs> and this was a, a work party at a theatrical show that we went to. Uh, but it's like uh, for me it, it really made it kind of dire that life is important and it could end any time and I made a bunch mm. of decisions like right off the shoes of that including leaving an abusive or semi-abusive relationship um, and, and getting into a better relationship and making making really good choices because life is short mm -hmm. so that was and that's actually I think the big lesson I learned from that that there was no reason why this should have gone south and it did yeah and and even at his funeral, uh, his relatives, when they spoke of it, said it was his time because everybody said there was no reason. It was just, and he it's died doing what he loved to do, which is being the clown and, and, and being the life of the party and doing something crazy. And everybody always had crazy stories about Mike. And that's where he would be happiest with people having a crazy story. And I don't this is the craziest story. Certainly we went have. out on one. Yeah. Wow. He yeah, was he young was, too. I think he was he was definitely under forty. Oh my god. Yeah. It was it was it was an extraordinary story. Thank you. Um, I, can people search through the podcasts on the Risk website? If they hear? look for me on Risk, um, or if they look me up with the name Risk, they're gonna find there's that story, um, which was done in his studio, and the other story, which. Uh, was about a boyfriend in college so there's two of them i okay. mean if, if you look for me you'll find one of them and not both okay cool well listeners if you can please do so because it's it's a, it's a it's an incredibly powerful very moving and dark story but again like i mean i didn't realize that you had framed it i mean of course you framed it consciously because you're a storyteller but that i mean the way it was framed was so affirming you know in the yeah, light and of that, such but that was darkness done I mean, it's all a process. The first time I told the story, I didn't do that. And, you and know, people, people were like, coming up to me, Burr. you know, like, I'm so sorry. And it's, I, you know, it was early on in my storytelling career, but, you know, you never want the audience after a show feeling like they <laughs> Thank have you to. Thank you for sharing. And having to give you a, a big <laughs> hug and, you know. Yeah. I, like I, I honestly, if you, if you do a story on stage and, and someone says, Thank you so much for sharing that, you have failed. <laughs> um, because it has become therapy. Like, it was not entertainment. It was not. Um, it was not something professionally done. It was not something, it was not a performance. Yeah, was, I don't yeah. think the audience. You had a catharsis. Right. And they were your hostage therapist. Right, oh. and I, I, I agree. You should, you should avoid that at all costs in a, yeah. in a professional performance. But also, just like the way that stories, like that when you're doing, like when they evolve that way, um, 
Like I have a story uh, that is that is, has always been a centerpiece of the longer form things that I do, and that story has changed. Um, it's also about a suicide, and it, and but it, but it's changed so much in the way that you, like over time, you learn new things about yourself and where that where that sits in your mind, and like sometimes the story in your head is sitting in a place and in a context that's not that is how to phrase this um, it's not solid ground like the things that you've constructed around it before you actually got it out of your head and put it out in the open um, you have a lot of illusions mm-hmm. about what that means right you know and personal associations that aren't necessarily that haven't necessarily been verbalized or right I mean that might get in the way of others absorbing it is that would you say that's an apt statement yeah and that, and that kind of aren't true like you've, you've constructed a way of seeing it um, that changes once you get it out and start molding it into something and creating something out of it um, you can see how your own uh, version of events are flawed because mm-hmm. the thing about storytelling is that um, people are always asking is that true and it's like that's a weird question like all the all the events took place but the idea of truth in that situation is that everyone who was in the story with you has a different version of that story mm-hmm. and they're never gonna jive um, and you're never going to like you're never gonna be satisfied with what you're looking for but the truth of your experience that is what you're trying to get to mm-hmm. that's what you're trying to find is the truth of the experience and what it means and so like that's that's a very different kind of truth than um, you know I'm gonna say the blue is the bike was blue. My sister says the bike, but the bike the bike was pink. You know, right. and those things are never gonna match up. Mm-hmm. You know, it's gonna but be. But the a, essence is right. what drives it. It's about emotional truth, mm-hmm. and it's it's again. I would say people have asked me the same question: Are is that story true? And of course, it's true. And I guess it doesn't sound true because of sort of the poetic way you put it together for for a performance. So um, there's this thing where. A, a absolutely true story can sound larger than life because you're infusing it with poetry mm-hmm. or, or, or poetic images. Um, uh, but it's again, I I've told stories that my mother has said I don't even remember that. There's this wonderful story I tell on stage about uh, my cousin's husband, who's a later in life husband, and he was sitting at our Passover dinner table telling us about when his plane went down in Nepal and he was rescued by headhunters in, in uh, Nepal. Mm-hmm. And it was this amazing story. Good God. And it was amazing. And my mother doesn't remember it being told. Wow. And so she's like, I was there? You know, and it's like, oh, God, of course <laughs> you were there. Uh, but it's the kind of thing where I remember that story because it, it ignited my imagination. So when I tell the story, I tell the story of me hearing his story. Um, but I would imagine everybody at that table is either was going to be busy cleaning out the dishes and wasn't listening or right. remember something or, you know, everybody remembers it differently. Interested but, in something else. Yeah, but for me, it just it just just opened up my imagination so much that mm-hmm. it became like one of my favorite stories to tell is me hearing this relative who is new to the family who I barely know and then this 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 epic heroic tale comes out of an 80 year old man and it's just like oh 
Wow. Yeah. It was beautiful. That's incredible. Yeah. Well, actually, one of the first storytelling <coughs> stories I ever heard was when I first learned what a podcast was, and I started listening to The Moth, and I heard you, Brad, tell your story about uh, an ex-girlfriend, how you guys met at the bookstore at Barnes & Noble Oh, or yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, I, and I mean, it was so long ago. I can't remember if she was ever your fiance or whatever. But I was no, so no, no. We we were we never was the girl. Was the one who got away. The one who got away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. pretty much. Um, and that I mean, that was amazing. Oh, that that story was incredible. Do you still tell that story out of curiosity? Um, occasionally, yeah. I mean, that story is that story got that the last line of that story, um, which is you know. Uh, I can't remember exactly the exact phrasing, but it was um, true love allows you to make mistakes. Anything else is just a crush, mm. um, which is much more. That's much more of an up note than I usually end on. I'm usually kind of a, <laughs> I'm usually kind of a dick. Um, you know, I'm a, I'm usually pretty much the bastard in all, in all my stories. Um, <laughs> yeah, but, but you were that talking one about me, you know. So. Yes, yes, it wraps it's up. It's true. With, it's yes. true. He does end on you. Yeah. yeah, and that story, that so that last line ended up being like. People's Facebook status updates and like people were tweeting it and it like they wow. got they got way. But that that's hard. Um, that story was really powerful because the beauty of it was, and you can find that on the moth if you look up Brad and the moth. I think that that one's easy to find. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the beauty of it was really painting that that heartache that you feel with if only I had done something different. If only I had kissed her then. If mm. only I had said the right thing, um, I would have gotten together with this person who was perfect for me. It's yeah, it's the most famous human what if. Yeah, yeah. and then um, as life went on, and he got married, like the concept of love for you changed. It changes. It evolves. Yeah, I and mean, there's that, that sort of that that youthful kind of, you know. Um, you know, the Irie rom-com paints the picture of, like, the uh, the couple that outwardly are at odds and arguing all the time, and they hate each other. Everyone, it seems like they hate each other, but really they're deeply in love, and it's like, it's this kind of, and it's like, meh, you know, like, that's, that, and I'm, and I'm not, yeah, I'm sure that, that that happens, you know, somewhere in the world, but it's also, it's not, you know, um, love is the well, I don't want to. I don't want to make definitive statements like love, love is this or love be. is that. Can be. Yeah, but I mean, but I also think that there's a certain point in your life when, when, you know, it's the person who's going to, um, you know, let you fuck up and try again, mm-hmm. um, as opposed to these great, passionate, romantic, make or break moments, but where instead it's it's someone who says, you know. I know who you are at heart, and I'm not going to throw you away because you didn't say the right romantic thing or kiss me at the right romantic moment. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to let you give that another shot. Mm. Um, you're going to need that at some point in your life. Everyone's going to need that at some point in their life, and if you're chasing this this rom-com ideal of like perfect execution, uh, good luck. Yeah, I was just about to say good yeah. luck to you. Yeah. <laughs> but I do think that that story resonates especially for 
people who haven't learned that lesson yet, because mm-hmm. I, because he does it so beautifully that he tells the story of this romance with the girl at the bookstore so beautifully. That, it is a brilliant story. That you know, if you are a person who's in one of those situations where you have that one who got away and you're questioning it, you get sucked right into that story and you say. Yeah, me too. I've been there. I'm there. I have that one. And then he does this thing where he says, yeah, that one ain't real. Real love is different. Real Mm. love is better. And I think that, you know, and the last line being, um, um, real love allows for mistakes and everything else is just a crush. Just, I think a bunch of people heard that and went, I can, I can let that go. Absolutely. It's a real aha moment. Yeah, I mean, people, I mean, because there's nothing more, oh God, uh, like painful than young love, you know, especially mm-hmm. the, quote unquote the one that got away, because it, it is the yeah. ultimate what if, and then yeah. it's like, well, that's not necessarily true. I mean, if you want to be a sort of like, uh, for lack of a better term, wrist slashing romantic, mm-hmm. <laughs> you yeah. know, that's a that's a, a truth that you can ascribe a lot of your reality to, but doesn't have to be that way and I mean yeah. I think that's a real that, that's a beautiful thing to wake up people to and I'm really happy to hear that people did hear that and go oh my god yeah. I mean I certainly was yeah. listening to it and was like huh like yeah, yeah my god yeah although yeah. I did not make it my Facebook status I don't think I was even on Facebook at that point but. <laughs> I was at a show and I had three girls from Oklahoma I think from like Oklahoma City and I performed and I came off stage and they were like they're like, we heard you on the Moth podcast. You were your biggest fans, and I was like, "What is what? what are you talking about? Like that's everything you said is weird." <laughs> <laughs> All right, <laughs> nice to meet you, biggest fans. Yeah, he met his. He, you know, I just love the fact that they're like, "Oh, it's Bradley Lawrence." Yeah, I say that every day. I gotta Aww. say, uh, apparently, me and twenty-two-year-old girls. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> now the, you guys... the listening audience can't see the look my wife gave me. <laughs> it was all love, I'm sure. I'm sure. It's fine. It's always. Um, now, you guys, um, I have to say, have parlayed your storytelling gifts and talents into quite a few co-productions. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I know you You just mentioned that you are working on Nefarious... What is it called? It's <laughs> called Nefarious Laboratory or... I kind of like to call it nef- nefarious laboratory. I um, guess just because it sounds ridiculous. And that's kind of like the the production umbrella name for a bunch of sort of. Uh, we got ideas. Yeah, kind of us doing whatever we want to do. Yeah. Um, without having to sort of feel like, especially because it's at this quarterly show, so it you know every three months we get to uh, pull whatever we're into. Onto the stage. Onto the stage. Because you, you guys are doing hosting. You're doing burlesque. You're mm-hmm. doing storytelling. Mm-hmm. You're doing sketch bits. What, like, what? I mean, I, I used to do sketch comedy. I used to be part of a sketch comedy t- troupe in Boston, and I also ran an all-women comedy troupe called Planet Girl in Boston, where the mission statement was like, I don't care what it is. It just needs to be from the heart. Mm. So it actually wasn't even a comedy troupe. It's like, but I have something serious. Go ahead, do that. And it was just about really being able to there is no boundaries you really can do whatever and what do you want to do and I've really missed feeling like that because when you do a burlesque show it needs to be burlesque when you do a storytelling show it needs to be story 
And if you're combining burlesque and story, then it's just, it's too many parameters. Yeah. So the thought with Nefertiti's Laboratory, I love saying it. Um, <laughs> it sounds really good. Laboratory. <laughs> That's because I'm a mad scientist. Um, <laughs> the laboratory. A mad naked scientist. Yes. Um, <laughs> is that, is that, that is that is not OSHA regulation. <laughs> <laughs> totally against yeah. health code. Um, but it's a chance for us to not have to think with any box, you know, we, we don't have to think, oh, we have a burlesque show and we need this or that. So, like, the first one was a combination of storytelling and burlesque, and it was uh, called Origin Stories, which came out of uh, being at a dinner party at Little Motown's house. Mm. And we asked her how she got involved with burlesque, and it was this beautiful story. Um, you had a beautiful, you have a beautiful story about it as well. And then um, I had a, my story, and then we were like, I bet a bunch of other people do and we just got a small handful of friends that we thought that the stories complemented each other and then Big Heath said I want to tell my story and he's he's not a performer and so um, but he just he, he, he stole the night yeah, yeah he did. he was I mean like everyone wow. was fantastic or all then and like it was there it was them paired with their favorite acts and like talking about like what led them to burlesque and what burlesque and then performing their, their favorite acts oh, and like them cool. performing their favorite acts yeah and if we then, do it again we would definitely want you in oh with yeah. pleasure i need i need i need some coaching on my storytelling and we're thinking <laughs> that yeah we're, we actually there's some opportunities coming up for us to put this back on again but um but yeah big heath got up there and and you know the minute we sort of heard he was interested it was like oh yeah because because the burlesque scene is so much there are all the uh, people that Support the burlesque scene and like uh, which and who are essential to the success of the burlesque. Scene. Yes, well, the, they aren't in the burlesque scene. I don't think of them as fans. Mm. I think of them more as playmates, mm. yeah. um, as career audience members. Well, somebody, especially <laughs> well, somebody like, like Heath, isn't the only one. There's a number of people like that out there where they come to the shows. They're discerning. They're thoughtful in their feedback. Um, they come up with ideas and say, "Have you ever thought about doing an act like this?" Like they're, they're yeah. He's they're, got a really good, sharp eye for yeah. critique. Like he's he's yeah. critiqued stuff and he'll be honest. And he's like, there's a point where it's like, "Yeah, I felt like I phoned it in." He'll go, "Yep." <laughs> you know, it's like, good to know. He's good a, to yeah. know. He's a 300 pound man. He, he can he can be as honest as he wants to be. <laughs> but you know, having 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 people in your life that are that blunt actually is incredibly helpful. You know, um, but he he terrified of being on stage. Yeah, terrified. Bless him. Yeah, and he got up there and and you could just sort of like like it was just it was amazing. Like it was he was so um, he was so out on a tightrope, mm. and that made him so vulnerable. Mm. That everybody in the audience kind of leaned forward, yeah, and oh. it just the, the room was silent. Everyone was just with him every step of the way. I say that to was, my students, like when they're scared, I always tell them the level of energy that goes into that fear is the level of charisma that you can have on that stage. Mm. That fear and that amount of emotion comes across on stage as charisma and he was perfect proof of that yeah because he just came out there and this was so important to him and he wanted to tell the story because um after um and he doesn't like to go into the grave details of what had happened but like like many of us there's that point where this doesn't work out that doesn't work out this doesn't work out and it feels like life has fallen apart 
and he was at that point where uh, certain social situations were just closed and he had to start from scratch and it took him a couple of years to find the burlesque scene and he went from being a person with um, if he had good friends but they were friends from work who weren't as adventurous as he would want to go so he didn't have mm. playmates for adventurous things he had good friends but he needed playmates for more adventurous things and he loves the arts mm. um, and suddenly he was part of this world where it was these adventurous people so he like he found a kinship and he still has the good friends who were who were rock steady in his life but now he pulls them out he says, come here, you got to see this thing, you know, but it's like his whole, he, it, it just everything opened up for him because of the burlesque scene, and he was embraced almost immediately at the first show he went to um, by Scotty the Blue Bunny. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, fan does not cut it. Like, like fan, it's like the guy who, like, when, you, when we're doing shows in Edinburgh, and he comes to Edinburgh, and mm-hmm. brings his daughter with him. Mm-hmm. I was there that year. I yeah. remember that. That's but, a different... Because I had to, I was talking about how amazing Edinburgh was, and he went, "Huh? Do you think I should go?" And I'm like, "Oh God, yes, you should." I said, "It is my one of my favorite places to be. It'll blow your mind." And he went, "My daughter wants to study theater. Should I bring her?" I said, "Yes, you should. It'll blow her mind." And then, boom, him and his daughter are on a are on a plane. Wow! Because there's an artistic adventure to be had, and that's who he is. But this is about how how this came to be, and it was. The whole night was uh, really just a series of love stories to the burlesque scene. Oh, and beautiful. Was this back in November? Yeah, it was October. It was, uh, it was the, the burlesque festival. The, um, oh, so the October, Gotham yeah. festival. And yeah, the Gotham burlesque festival, yeah. But the it was... horse trade does. Oh, okay, yeah. 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 All right. But I think that... Every... Or no, I'm sorry, the Gotham Storytelling Festival. Right. 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 At horse trade. I don't know the... Gotham Burlesque Festival sounds like a bit of conflict of interest with the New York Burlesque. Yeah, no, no, that, yeah, yeah Gotham so Storytelling fun. Festival, <laughs> yeah. different situation. Speaking of which, God bless um, Horse Trade for doing all this crazy stuff. Mm-hmm. I love them. Yeah, um, but the thing with that was just the it was just I think that what was sort of left with is that everybody everybody was and I don't know that people felt lonely. Um, I think that might be my own projection because I was lonely when I found the burlesque scene. That there was this thing of feeling a little bit lost or feeling a lot lost and suddenly you are found and suddenly you are home. And that everybody who got on that stage told a story of, and suddenly I was home. And then they gave their favorite acts and you know, it's like just people on the front of the audience like crying and holding the hearts and then they were naked and it was great. <laughs> yeah. It That's was great. amazing. So Nefarious Laboratory is stuff like that. And the next one is a variety show, um, yes. that's all of Brad's uh All of favorite, my favorite things. Yeah. yeah. It's called uh Handsome Brad and His Naked Friends. Yes. Um when is that happening? That is February fifth, uh, yeah. Okay, cool. Got and that. that yes. Naked people, um, booze, comedy. Yeah, that's uh, a good combination. Yeah, it, it should be like it. it, it Members it, of the BTK band. Yeah, yeah. It should be. It should be a really great night. And then uh, the next one, I've got. I'm, actually, it's his idea for me, but I think it's a great idea, and this is why being married to Brad is so amazing. Um, is that I, as everybody does, you know, you're bored and you get on the internet and you start down some rabbit trail. Nobody does it the way you do. Uh, but I'm I'm <laughs> I'm really good at research, and uh-huh. I, I discovered this like the internet and me get along great. Um, and so I'll go down a rabbit trail and I will find all sorts of stuff. And there's the only person I tell it to is him. I'm like, 
wait a minute, I gotta read this, you know, and um, there's several ones that I can just go crazy for hours on, and the first... There are character actors on Gilligan's <laughs> Island that, that you can point at, and Cindy can recite their IMDb page. Jesus. Yeah. Yes. Because um, it's like, who is that guy? Who is, who is Nathan and number two? And like, they're like, these people who had, like, these very random careers in Hollywood, they're fascinating. Like, they... These are people who left behind something to go to Hollywood, which was a circus at the time, and appear on, you know... Well, my favorite one is is the guy who... It started with he played Chewbacca's wife in <laughs> um, in the Star Wars Holiday Special. Oh, my God, which, P.S., I have never seen. You must see it. I have to, I know. Yes. Um, anyhow, but that's where, that's where I found him, and then it turned out that he also played... Gargantua, the gorilla, on the episode of Wonder Woman where she fought the um, the gorilla trained by Nazis. Um, oh, my God. Um, so it's like, <laughs> really? So, like, in the same year, you wore two ape suits? Okay. What else have you done? And, of course, he also, was, he was the, a monster. What can a Nazi really train a gorilla to do? <laughs> like, when it comes to fighting... Like, what can a Nazi train a gorilla to do that a gorilla cannot already do? Like, if you get into a fight with a non-Nazi gorilla, <laughs> it's going to go the same way. Well, I think it's basically a Nazi gorilla will see Wonder Woman in the red, white, and blue and go, and squeeze her. That's basically all that Gargantua would do. And then Wonder Woman would say, no, Gargantua, I'm your friend. <laughs> and then he would go, which was very similar to what he did as Chewbacca's wife. I was just about to say, that, sounds, yeah. that sounds like Wookiee. <laughs> but he, he also, well, he was, he, was, uh, he was a native on Gilligan's Island, and I, I found the episode he was on. And, oh then, uh, and he was on an episode of Gunsmoke, and I, I found that. And, we and he was, like, young and good-looking. Yeah, he actually was young and good-looking, and he was a yeah. good actor, and that's just it. It's like, I found this uh, episode of, of Gunsmoke where he was this great actor, and then um, and then uh, he was, because um, he was a big guy, he was a monster on uh, on Star Trek as well, so he, he kind of made a career of being monsters. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So I, I was, yeah, so, that, so then I got him this whole kick on who's in the monster suit. And so I've got all of these, like, I know there's this whole core of actors who all they do is monster suits. That sounds like a Tumblr waiting to happen or yeah. some sort of blog. Oh, but I, I did a posting of it. Maybe for, a great TV show. I, I did a posting Dude, of it. Dude, you should pitch that as a reality show. Who's, who's, who's the monster? Who's, who's, be, who's in the suit? Yeah. Who's in the suit? But who's, who's in the monster suit? Who's or even, like, like, or like, even like, a, like a sort of era, like a... Like a period, like a period um, dramedy, like uh, like Hollywood studio lots in the '60s, yeah. When all these ridiculous shows are going on, but people were living real lives, like these, like these, <laughs> like you know, um, Beverly Hillbillies was paying for someone's doctor bills, yeah. You know, which is crazy, you know, or someone's divorce, like someone, <laughs> someone's alimony was paid from from you Jared know. And- yeah, doing whatever they were doing on the Beverly Hillbillies. Yeah, actually, Mr. Yeah. Ed. We, we should do yeah. one of those where I, I get all of the clips in a row and I just sort of like go through the career of the monster suits. Yeah. But the, the first one we wanted to do was Bigfoot because I'm fascinated by um, Bigfoot hunters and Bigfoot hoaxers. I think who, who decides that I am going to hoax Bigfoot and now I'm going to put all of my energy into that? 
I mean, it is a dream for someone. It's not just the dream. Like, I understand the dream to find the monster. Right. But my dream but to imitate the is monster. to make people believe I have found the monster. And, like, then what, what, what becomes the goals? Is the goal, like, getting on CNN? Is the goal, like, there was these guys who sold... Uh, a Bigfoot that they had claimed they had found the body and put it in the freezer and it was basically a Bigfoot costume filled with roadkill and they sold it for $10,000. Are you fucking kidding this me? This was uh, four years ago. Yeah, they and were on, those are the ones, they were on CNN and like a bunch of, yeah, I think BBC. Of yeah, they, they of went national yeah. and oh the guy who did that God. right now in the news again is this guy Rick Dyer who claims that he has a Bigfoot body. It's the same guy. And it's like, oh it's the kind of thing God. he's getting, he's on CNN again. And it's just like, Rick Dyer is my hero. Because <laughs> he's already, he's already screwed us once and he's doing it again. <laughs> and everybody's like, okay, we believe that. The Why? audacity is amazing. I Wasn't like, it's like, I love yeah, this guy. It's fantastic. I want, I want to hang out with Rick Dyer and just go. I mean, I know he'd be like, no. Go stuff Bigfoot suits. Go, go roadkill hunting. Yeah. Like, I know I punched Sasquatch. you in the face before. <laughs> and, I know I learned, that, and I know that I'm... I learned I have, my lesson. Like, my fist balled up and reared back. But I want you to know, I'm not going to... I'm not punching you in the face this time. No. Well, okay. I, maybe I just punched you in the face again. But next time. <laughs> so I, I do want to... Yeah, there's, there's a lot of really fun... Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a whole other level of storytelling right there. That's pulling the wool over willing eyes. It's yeah, so funny. Willing outlets, rather. Yeah. yeah. No, you should do yeah an entire series on, and never, yeah. But that's a, an affairs laboratory gives us a chance to like. Do I don't know what's that going to be. I don't know. We'll get some videos off of YouTube. Maybe we can get somebody to talk to us. Ah, let's go. You know. Yeah. The funny thing is, you're catching us like a, at a really weird moment because. How perfect. It's a very transitional phase yeah mm. i mean just because moving hotsy totsy to slipper room yeah and i do want to talk and... about hotsy totsy which is an extraordinary burlesque show that Thank has been you. going on for how many years now oh golly five just five I, maybe Since, because it was um i started up the year i met you and we've been together for six yeah yeah wow you had, I had met him? one show before you met me i think uh i maybe had one two. show with joe the shark i had done okay. three really rough Things that was I in the first show, the at Ella, what is now Ella? No, Julep was. Yeah, Julep. I mean, yes, yes, yes. You yes, might yes. have been in the first show with Joe the Shark, but okay. it's I had uh, somebody had offered me a space to do a show, and we needed a name. We called it Hotsy Totsy. We put it together, and then I was the only host because I was brand new to the scene. I think I'd been in the scene for two months when somebody offered me my own show, and I wasn't going to say no. But it was like I don't know any other host. It'll be me again. And then you know people are like, you're doing the same material. I'm like. Yeah, I need help. And there was Joe, and he's like, "Well, there's a lot of people." I'm like, and he starts listing them. I'm like, "You should help me with the show." <laughs> and then once I got Joe on board, he started bringing in all this other talent, and that's when it. And then it was, it, it was basically the only thing I came up with before he showed up was Cherry Pits and the name of the show. And then Joe the Shark came in, and it was like it needs to be a brand new show every time, and we'll we'll, we'll create storylines and. And it, it became something much bigger than it was for the first. I think I did three. They were just basic burlesque shows with me hosting under the name Hotsy Totsy. Yeah. But wow. the first one at Ella was the first real one. 
Because Hotsi Totsi is a monthly mm-hmm. scripted, fully scripted, individual, unique burlesque show, isn't it? Yeah, we, we mm. call it New York's only ongoing burlesque soap opera. Um, because, um, you it know. It always takes place in the same place, right? Yeah, it's it's a. The Wayward. The Home of Wayward Girls and, and Fallen Women. And Fallen yeah. Women. It's sort of like, uh, it's similar, I guess, in structure to The Muppet Show. It's, you know, which always took place at their theater. And this, for us, it's the Home for Wayward Girls and Fallen Women. And it's a place where a lot of burlesque performers supposedly live in this massive, rundown, all-girls hotel. And um, we're always short on money to keep the hotel going. And so every month there is a fundraising show. And then, you know, the drama ensues when... Um, Captain Kirk shows up. Captain Kirk shows up. <laughs> for or, example. Yeah. Or uh, Doctor Who... Um, arrives. Arrives. Um, and actually, that was a really fun premise that... Um, Doctor Who was arriving uh, every time he got in the TARDIS when he came out he was back at the home for Wayward Girls and Fallen Women for Cherry Pitts' birthday oh my God. but in a different year each time so, oh my God. so Cherry's all excited because I haven't seen him in a year but he always shows up for my birthday and he comes out and he's like this is the 81st birthday in a row that I've come out to. And so he's just Today. like, yeah. Yeah. every day is your birthday and he's not happy. And she's like, oh, you know, and it's like, then the question is why, why is the TARDIS keep bringing him? And so there was yeah. the whole, you know, it's how to break the cycle for the poor doctor. Um, I played the doctor. Yes. God. That was fun. And then, yeah. um, but that's the, that's the cornerstone of our marriage is we sit on the couch once a month and write a new script. Yeah. And yeah. that's impressive. And mm. we have a lot of original scripts that are just sort of like crazy ideas out of our own heads. Um, but we're really finding that when we bring in scripts that make fun of things that are in pop culture, um, that it's an automatic point of entry for. Uh, yeah, it's like we bring in a lot of people that are, are like fans of Big Lebowski or fans of Star Wars who've never seen a burlesque show. But there's this whole other thing where we, we're bringing you the characters you love and we're sending up something that you already know and love. And there's just, you know, the other shows were fun, but these shows, there's a lot more heart. And then the fans, like we, we have learned by doing one show that was um, Fifty Shades of Grey, we thought would be a good idea because we didn't like the book. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we discovered writing a show about something you don't like is nowhere near as exciting and entertaining as writing a show about something you love. Mm-hmm. And you so, don't do it as well. I mean, like the audience yeah. loved it. They had a great time. But, you know, I think that we felt like... Um, we felt like we, it was, well, it was just more of a struggle for us to to give it the kind of heart and substance we we normally want Hatsi Tatsi to have. Right. You know, because Hatsi Tatsi, it really is... That was a discovery. It's like when, like, it's about parody, and like, you have to love the thing that you are destroying. Yeah. You know, in so many ways, it's got to be. A, it's got to be a loving um, defacement. You know, and yeah. like that's. Um, uh, yeah, and and so we we have gone. We have decided to only do this with the shows and the things and the movies and that we love, and. Um, like the review on Hansi Totsi for the for the Doctor Who one, there was just like somebody's some small blog wrote this glowing review, just like balled over that like the references we were making, and they were like these are diehard fans, and it's like yeah, that's what we do. And yeah, it's, and it's, and every diehard fan in the place felt like they were welcomed into something. 
Yeah, yeah. That, that they were Welcome watching. to Anne Vindicated. Yes, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Validated yeah. and maybe going to get laid. Yeah. <laughs> so it's Joe often comes up with the the ideas on... I mean, actually, we all throw in the ideas, but he, he often comes up with a storyline is usually his where he comes into it and then he's like all right here's my idea and then we all sit down and if there's a couple of guests that are going to be featured um like uh, rory shul gets featured a lot peter aguero gets featured a lot peter aguero comes in with ideas like he's like you know i'm doing big lebowski he's okay and we're like yes and then he just is like i know what this is going to be and we've sent him off to write the script for us and he comes yeah he gives us kind of a month off every once in a while because he'll come up with something (laughs) he wants to do for you know, usually around his birthday, he wants to do a certain kind of hotsy totsy. Yeah, we did Big Lebowski and we did um, uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah, and then. And that uh, just gives us a chance. We just slap him on the ass and send him on his way and he comes back with something. And he's pretty so, damn funny, so yeah. that's good yes, stuff. He is. So that's, yeah, hotsy totsy. I'm, God, I'm awful proud of that show. And, I, and it's. You have every right to be. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's co produced by me and Joe, but it's a trio. It's me, Joe, and, and Brad that make this happen. Well, yeah. I, I mean, I'm, I don't know. I help you. I'm your... He writes all the funny lines. I just say them. <laughs> <laughs> and then he, That's a collaboration right there. And then he right co-hosts, there. and he's, yeah. He, he's the straight man with the snarky comments to my Lucille Ball slash Cherry Pits. Yeah. I, that's, yeah. It is, it is always a pleasure to play straight against Cherry. Because... <laughs> It's so much fun. The stuff that comes out of your mouth. <laughs> it's just like, why? Yeah. <laughs> and you guys so. have you guys have a really unique collaborate collaborative partnership. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, not just I mean, as seen through the lens of Hotsi Totsi, but even I mean, just I mean, taking it down to the craft of, I mean, again, to bring it back to storytelling. Mm-hmm. I mean, how the anatomy of it. You know, I mean, it could be called like even within Hotsi Totsi. You know, the arc. I mean, mm-hmm. it's such it's such a honed craft on both of your guys' parts, um, and having seen you guys on stage, um, as well as seen you, I would rather listen to you. You know, it's like you guys have this art, you know, nailed down pretty hardcore. What do you have? Like, do you have any tips for any aspiring storytellers um, or people who are really struggling to like get a story out, be it a performative story in the form of a burlesque act or even a play. I mean, this may be a very broad general question, but I mean, you guys have already given so many wonderful, helpful like hints mm-hmm. as what has worked for your process. Um, I mean, I guess I can narrow it down to just the lens of like storytelling, just base how to tell a story. What would you recommend for people to pay attention to if they are wanting to actually, say, tell an actual story or? create a burlesque act or create a one person show of some sort like what what I would say the first thing on for storytelling is a go with something that you're really passionate about mm-hmm. um, and often that story that you keep telling at parties or when you're out you know, or when you meet somebody for the first time and you have to explain to them who you are there's those stories that define you mm. um, that or the story that you are waiting for a relationship to get far enough along that it's safe to tell that person oh god yeah uh, yes you know but that's stuff that's really deep in there but that's real um if it's going to be a one-person memoir um or just a story for the stage that's the that's where the material is and then it it needs to be a transformation or you know it's it should be about 
something that even if it's something tiny, something that made you look the world in a different way. Um, and I think like a great example of a tiny version of that um, is a story Brad tells where um, him and his sister were fighting all day and then he ended up choking on an orange and she get, you know, got the orange out of his throat. And you know, it's this really great story about siblings fighting when they're kids that I think the thing that you walked away with was sort of like knowing that your sister didn't actually want you dead and that was a revelation. Yeah. She'd been, <laughs> we'd both been acting like we wanted each other dead the entire day and then when push came to shove and I almost did die. Um, turns out, no. <laughs> she she yeah. actually she so, really cares about you. Yeah, yeah. and it's, a, it's again, that might be something small, but like there's a transformation in that story mm -hmm. and that... Um, you know, there's many ways to tell stories. I actually think that telling stories is the most natural thing in the world. That's how people people look at life and make sense of the world through stories. Mm -hmm. um, Absolutely. But, you know, the, the basic story is there's a beginning, there's a middle, there's an end. Um, things are going along and then one day something happens and because of that a bunch of choices are made and um, life changes and um, there's a realization. Um, and that's your basic story um, if you're going to do it linear. There's many ways to tell stories, but if you're brand new, do something linear just to get that down and then get creative. Um, and there's probably books that you can read on that. But it's, you know. I, yeah, I don't know. Um, but there's the, there's the beginning. You guys could write I, it. No, if you ask Peter this question, because I learned this from him, it's like once upon a time there was a boy, girl, man, woman, and every day was like this, then one day something happened, and because of that, nothing was ever the same. Mm -hmm. And that's his quote on it, and when I teach, because he taught me how to teach, uh, I always use that. And I think it's really basic, but that's a basic story in linear fashion. Mm -hmm. uh, but I also, I have seen stories that are not linear that are beautiful. So yeah. it's like, and I see, I've seen stories where there's two stories going back to back and somehow they complement each other. So it's like there's so many different ways that I wouldn't tell anybody to get too married to any one way. Because um, so much of this is about your own, Every I think everybody looks at the world with their own poetry. And so mm. it's like, it's about finding your own That's a nice way of putting poetic it. view and sharing that. Which sometimes yeah. I'm terrible at. Sometimes I try to communicate and people are just like staring at me like Cassandra, like, you make no sense and it makes so much sense in my own head mm -hmm. and I think I got into storytelling because I wanted people to understand me better you know I I got into it because I love to hear myself talk <laughs> <laughs> were you guys both storytellers before you met no she got me into this she oh was, really actually not I mean I had been the, to a couple of things but I but do you know the story how we met Tell me again. I know you've told me this, but I, I am in no way recalling oh. it. Uh, I was. I'm, uh, no, I play the fool in the story, so I get to tell it. <laughs> um, because a friend of mine had a. We were, a friend of mine had invited me along to a um, to a Halloween party at a bar uh, in Brooklyn that had go-go dancing, and it was going to be a giant, huge affair. Um, and also, he needed me because his girlfriend had gotten stomach flu. He needed me to uh, dress up. He was going as um, Phil Spector, and he needed me to go as Lana Clarkson, oh my God. the woman oh my God. Phil Spector shot. <laughs> so we walk into this bar. I am wearing 
a spaghetti strap number, very slinky, very tight. Um, I'm sure you were stunning. Oh, yes, a blonde wig, a skew, a, a four-day beard. No makeup. Yes, and uh, <laughs> sneakers, because I was not a, about to try and master heels on, on two hours' notice. Um it was basically and, the girl's costume, but it was one of those Lycra, one-size-fits-all uh, yes. dresses. Yes. Yeah. And uh, essentially, yes. To stretch over your strapping frame. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and I saw, I, we walk in, I'm like, I see, I like, across, through this crowded room of like, you know, um, sexy everything, sexy Gandhis and sexy uh, nurses and sexy whatever. Um, in the go-go booth, there is... Uh, I'll give away the spoiler. It's Cindy, and Cindy is standing there, and she had <laughs> she had torn up a bed sheet, and she was the go-go dancer for the evening. And I had sewn it together into strips. Yes, in order to make a mummy costume, which then she was going to strip out of, but that had completely failed, and it ended up in a giant knot around her knees. <laughs> and she was still trying to, like, when we walked in, she was still trying to kind of dance sexy, and then she just stopped and just started laughing at herself in the booth. And all the sort of guys who had gathered around to stare at her in the booth started laughing along with her. And I looked at my friend and I was like, all right, I am not going to be so crass to hit on the go-go girl when she's dancing, when she's working, unless I'm really, really drunk. So we have to get me extraordinarily drunk. <laughs> and about a, two hours later, I had actually gotten in the go-go booth and was competing with you. With my dress hiked up around my thighs, yeah, kind of giving everyone a good a good shot of my of my boxer briefs. Yeah, we were we were um, doing we you know how like the girls do the sort of fake lesbian stuff where yeah, yeah we were doing the fake lesbian stuff. Oh, so we were kind of God. like I had I he said can I dance and I asked the bar owner there and I was, sure so I dragged him up there. <laughs> we're doing like we're we're making fun of the fake lesbians. So we're uh, we were sort yeah. of like the you know the fake. French kiss like like oh we're like you know and then he was but he was out hamming me, and and I was not used to anybody out hamming me and he was he was out hamming me and I was I was impressed, but he 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 was I had no idea what his color hair was because he was wearing the stupid wig, um, it, it was not flattering I know he thinks he looked gorgeous I was fantastic yeah um, <laughs> I was fabulous and the only thing I could, we, the only thing I could tell is he was very fit. That, well, yes, and address yeah. that type. Yeah. Hard they, oh, no, nothing was left to, to, to the, the imagination, imagination whatsoever, <laughs> yeah. So at some point, I'm finally drunk enough, and she's come off stage, she's on her break, and she's talking to us. And I'm, I'm finally drunk enough. And uh, I turn around, and I'm like, so uh, do you want to hang out sometime when you're in a dress and I'm not? <laughs> and she says, she kind of looks at me like very, very skeptically, and she says, Seems like you and your friend party very hard, and we've been partying very hard for months he was, and months yeah. and months. Um, he was drunk off his ass and looked yeah. very comfortably so. Like, like there yes. was no like, oh, I, I, oh, it was just sort of like, here I am, woo! <laughs> yeah, like, it's Tuesday, all right. Yeah. <laughs> um, like yeah, my friend Jody and my friend Jody and I. Jody had taken a couple years off work because he had he had he had made a lot of money um, at, at a certain point and and had. It sort of bought him the opportunity to take a couple years off work. I was um, unemployed. I just I had uh, left a job, and so my days really consisted of Jody calling me up and saying, "It's two o'clock in the afternoon. I'm drunk at a bar. 
do you want to come meet me? And me saying, I have no money. And he's like, I've got it all. <laughs> I've got all the money. And so we were just, we had been drunk for a year. Wow. Um, and it was good. But it had been like, it, it, we were coming to the end of that and it had been very harrowing. So when she says this to me, like, and you're like, you and your friend party a lot. And I don't really party that way. You know, you should know that going before in we before out. we hang out. Yeah. And so while that was true, what I said was true also, and also crass, because what I said was, um, and there are just times when, like, when you are so drunk, you can't, you, you can't lie. Like, all you have is the brass tacks truth, and that's where I was. <laughs> and what I said to her was, no, 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 look. I've been making out with all these girls. Oh, my God. <laughs> and I am sick of it. I'm looking for something that's going to last. Oh. <laughs> and I said, that is the sketchiest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> and then she pulled out a flyer for a storytelling show she was running and handed it to me and said, but if you show up to this, we'll see. And so I showed up. It was like three days later. And he threw down the gauntlet in the form of a flyer. Yeah, well, it's, yeah. it's I mean, the, the, the tiny bit of the backstory, because there's the bigger, it could go on forever, but we don't have that much time, uh, was that I just had, uh, I'd been dating a lot. Like, I, I had had my heart broken. I was done with people who don't want to commit. And I'd been dating a lot, like, really trying to get myself out there, and then, uh, a lot of it had been through the internet, so it would be like I would do this, and then I'd have to take a break because it had been like six bad dates, like not just oh that didn't go well, but six bad dates in a row. And I'd take a big break, and I had just kind of gotten back out to the next thing, and um, there was just this thing of like I was kind of burnt out, and um, in fact, like I met him, and the following day I had a date with somebody who disappeared uh, during dinner for a brief period of time when he came back, you know, uh, I was like, is everything okay? And he's like, oh, it's just my wife. And it's like, <gasps> I'm on a date with a married man who doesn't seem to oh think that I'm going to lie. And so it's like the kind of thing where like, <laughs> great, you know, and that the was The moral it. of the story is she can pick him. <laughs> <laughs> so I was, I was, I was burnt out and I was just like, ah. Oh. And so there was just this thing where he even texted me and I was just like non-committal because that guy was just burnt out. And then he showed up and I was like, oh, he actually showed up. Like I, I was I was used to giving out flyers for people or my phone number and then they would never call. You didn't recognize me at first. No, I didn't. I had to say, long strappy dress, blonde wig. Yeah. And I was <laughs> like, oh, God, hi. And he was so handsome as opposed to that potentially well-built guy in a like, I had told you I cleaned up well. He did. But that, you know, he came to the show and he really enjoyed the show. And then um, he had mentioned that he had started looking at storytelling, that it's something he might want to do. And I was oh, already running a show. So then we started going, you know, since I was, it was something he was interested in. Well, I'm dumb as a stump. I am, I am just, I'm an idiot because I am one of these people, I, when I first moved to New York back in like 2001 or 2002, I am one of the, I am one of 12 people who saw the moth's first attempt at a, television show really? um it was on like channel 500 <laughs> at the far end of the dial i think they filmed three episodes and played one of them over and over and over again like occasionally you'd catch something else and i saw it i saw it like during a summer when i was going through a breakup or whatever i was watching this and thought i'd like to do that <laughs> and then did nothing 
to seek it out or try to find it until like five years later when I met Cindy and she was and she basically sort of handed it to me, like guided me, because yeah. apparently I'm useless on my own. Oh, but I wouldn't say that at I all because you had been to a couple of shows. I have lived in closets and cars. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but you're here to tell the tale, which indeed. counts for something. But, but then he got on stage and he was genius. Like uh, I think there was your first two performances were like I think I've got that, and then the third one he went. To, the third performance he did was at the Moth, and he got a perfect ten as his score. First wow. time off. Yeah. I was like, oh Jesus, that's not affirmation. I don't know what yeah, is. No, yeah, that was awesome. Dan Kennedy, I broke Dan Kennedy. You yeah. broke him. Yeah. Yeah, he couldn't. Yeah, he was cracking up so loud he couldn't continue on. Yeah. Um. That's amazing. Danielle, that's the story how we met. My yeah. God. So, with regards to, I know we need to wrap it up. We're just we're we're, we're at fifty three minutes. So, right. so far, so good. Good. Um, how can people find you guys? On the interwebs, in person. Um, I have a a blog which really is just sort of listings of my show. It's nothing too glamorous or too creative at the moment. Uh, one day, hopefully, that'll change. But it's called heroicsinhotpants.com. Um, beautiful, beautiful URL. Thank you. <laughs> um, but you can find uh, whatever shows that I'm involved with listed there, and usually some photos and some video. And then um, there's always Hotsy Totsy Burlesque.com for all that is Hotsy Totsy. And yeah. how do they find you? Find me on Twitter, mm. um, which is Bradlaw77. Pretty easy. Yeah. <laughs> it's like all women, Bradlaw77. Do you not have a website? Um, no, I'm between. I had one for a long time. I'm between websites. Yeah. <laughs> I, well, I had one a for a long time. It's a transitional period for us. Yeah, it's weird. Like, we're going through it. Like, we've left a lot of things because, you know, um, BTK Band ended. Yes. And um, I did. Just at the same time that it was obvious that we needed to find a new venue from a, for Hotsy Totsy Burlesque. So, wow. Yeah, yeah. That's incredible. And it, it'll, like, they yeah. are in Slipper now. Yeah. Or will be as of, what is it, the 19th? February 19th. February 19th. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then Nefarious Laboratory, because uh, we were working with Anne, I'm Not Lying. And, we um, left and I'm not lying. We left and I'm not lying um, because we just there were opportunities that it's sort of like new opportunities and we didn't have time for them and it was so it's like great we're, so we'll we'll stop this and see what happens and then boom suddenly we have an nefarious laboratory and boom yeah. it's like wow. so there's it's just it's sort of all, like everything's lining up. Yeah. It's lining up, but it hasn't settled yet. And so it's a kind of thing where, and there's new opportunities. There's stuff I cannot talk about that has been How exciting. recommended. Like, you know, there's a meeting tomorrow about this new thing that we might get involved in. And it's like, you know, it's, I'm really curious what our careers are going to look like even six months from now. Oh my gosh. So th this, yeah. this is immaculately timed then. I think, I think that the, the transitional moments are so powerful. I mean, there's so much that's literally just up in the air and it may feel foggy or the water may be a bit silty, but it's such a rich, yeah, it's silty. fertile yeah. moment. It feels silty. And there's also that point of, and I've had to learn this lesson so many times. It's like that thing when things end and it feels like, Oh, that thing has ended. What's next? Maybe there'll be nothing. And of course, there's going to be something. And of course, yeah. that something is probably going to have been involved and be better than. Absolutely. But there's that thing of the having the faith that. Yeah. Yeah. But That's it's. So well, the, a, the universe abhors a vacuum. I had a dream last yeah. night, and the dream was about. Was, the dream was probably knowing that I had this interview with you today, but it was just talking to somebody about how 
um, how everything looks so promising for us. Yeah. yeah. How so, exciting. Maybe it was a foreshadowing. I feel like I should uh, plug that I'm going to be on Risk yes. at uh, yes. the Pit. Amazing. I'm doing, the, doing the live show at the Pit. When is that happening? Um, on the 23rd of January. 23rd of January. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay, so, so. This, this episode is posting a week from today's Monday, January 13th, we're recording. Mm -hmm. uh, it will be posting uh, next week. So it'll actually be uh, just a couple days beforehand. Excellent. All right. I would, feel, I would feel bad facing Kevin Allison if I had not plugged my appearance on his show two days later. Mm. Yeah. When is so. this posting? This is posting on, uh, if all goes well, Monday, the a week from today. So the, what's that, the 20th? I think that's Monday the 20th. Yeah. And I'll be, I'll be as I always do, I spread it all over Twitter. Today I used the um, the analogy spraying like a, a neutered male cat. <laughs> <laughs> I was talking about on a certain flight That's why I like Facebook. my media. <laughs> Sprayed like territorial urine. That's <laughs> right. Well, I, I, I was feeling, I got two shows. Let me see if I can find them because I want to make sure that I'm, I'm saying everything correct. I'm involved with a Mel Brooks tribute burlesque show <gasps> called Blazing Tassels. Which is so brilliant. I really I hope I can make it to that. And that's going to be at the pit. And let's see if I've got... It's on the 25th. I no. believe, Sarah. Or is it 24th? I'm looking at the, quote, reminder email to make sure I've got all. It's uh, the pit, 123 East 24th. Um, what's the tech rehearsal? You shouldn't show up to that. Your audience. And it is, I want to say, Saturday. I know it's Saturday at 11, but I want to say that's the 25th. It is the 25th. Cause okay. Risk is on oh, a wow. Thursday. So... Perfect. Yeah. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna be sure to tag all of this stuff. Um, but uh, perfect timing. Yes. Perfect um, timing. But thank you guys so much for being on the podcast today. I am so thrilled to have had both of you here, and we'll have thank to have you us. back. Yes. Uh, yeah. For another roundtable discussion of something oh, fascinating and hopefully semi-naked. Yay! Yay! <laughs> Naked radio. I love that. Naked idea. radio. Yeah. It's happening. Thank you so much, guys. Thank, thank you. you. have it folks I love Cindy and I love Brad and I'm so glad that they were able to join us this week if you want to follow Cindy and Brad on the interweb or even catch them in person I highly recommend <laughs> checking out Cindy's website which is heroicsinhotpants.com and Brad you can pretty much just find on Facebook and Twitter from what I understand so go ahead, check him out. Uh, by all means, do a search on The Moth uh, for his stories. They're fantastic. And if you haven't already listened to Risk featuring Kevin Allison, just go listen. Brad is on one of the upcoming episodes, um, and I have a feeling it's going to be well worth listening to. Again, guys, thank you so much for tuning in. I am so excited to bring you a brand new episode next week. Who knows? It might just even be a porn star. Yeah, I got interesting friends. So, again, thank you guys so much for tuning in, and I look forward to bringing you a brand new episode full of love and realness next week. Take care. Bye. He washed his face with his front feet, and on his hind legs sat. 
With a twisted smile and a half-closed eye Says, where's that doggone cat? And he didn't go back to his hole He said, doggone my soul I'm only a rat, but a doggone cat Can't run me back to my hole His little old eyes begin to shine And he laughed up more and more And it made